Well, we're going to look at our lesson today, and the title of the lesson is Jesus Before the Manger. What was Jesus doing before he came to earth in human flesh? We're going to look at that today. And I've wrestled with this in a number of ways and came to the conclusion that I need to just let the Word of God speak today. So we're going to read a lot of scripture together. That's why you were given uh, the answer sheet uh, to all of those verses. Um, that is tremendous. And uh, so we're going to take an opportunity uh, to study. And one thing I'm, I'm really thankful for for these lessons is it's a different approach to our typical Christmas lesson series in that it's so full of doctrine. And uh, it's been a great joy to be able to teach um, substantive things that I think um, strengthen our faith, our, our understanding of, of uh, Bible doctrine. Uh, all of those things uh, give us a, a walk of confidence with the Lord. And I, I hope that this will be a, uh, have the same effect. You'll notice in our lesson, Jesus is eternal. He always was and he always will be. And that will be the emphasis of our lesson this morning. Jesus was, I hate to spill the beans here on my lesson, but Jesus was present at creation. And he appears throughout the Old Testament uh, to people at various times, which the second half of our lesson will cover that sheet that you have there uh, with you this morning. If you did not get a copy of that sheet, would you raise your hand? Okay, we just have one person down here that needs a copy of the sheet. Brother Morgan's going to bring it down here to you, to Mrs. Watson. Any others? He worked diligently this morning to make sure they, they got in your hands. Good job, only one. All right, very good. You'll need that in just a little while. <clears throat> All right, but Jesus, of course, left heaven. We studied that in previous lessons because God promised to provide a Savior. And the perfect Savior had to be the only begotten Son of God. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He died on the cross to save us from our sins. Then he conquered death and returned to heaven where he's preparing a place for us today. And I think it's nearing completion. Uh, but I hope he's prepared a place for you. And I hope that this lesson, if, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, that this lesson will impress upon you the urgency of knowing that heaven is your home, that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people, and your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We're going to look at eternity. That's a concept that's difficult for us because uh, we don't think like that. We think in, in a linear fashion, a chronological fashion. Things follow moment by moment. And when we go backwards, we look at history backwards, and again, we think moment by moment uh, in the past. But um, what we need to understand is that Christmas was not the beginning of it all. Christ took the form of a man and accepted the name Jesus, and that event, while it's significant, was not the beginning of Jesus Christ or of God's redemptive plan. And so we've tried to emphasize that in our lesson. And uh, let me see, I need to get up to speed here. Uh, I, once I turn this on, it'll work faster. 
All right, we start the lesson with the question, can you see God? And I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about, is it possible to know God in such a way that you could see him? And we're going to see him through the word of God today, and we're going to end with that question once again, but we're going to give answers to that question. And so uh, the first point in our lesson this morning is, Jesus is the eternal creator. And uh, have you ever wondered what Jesus, uh, what role Jesus played in time prior to his incarnation? Let me t give you the, that word, incarnation. <clears throat> have you ever gone to the grocery store and seen a label on a can that said chili con carne? All right, that's chili with meat. Carne in, in the Greek means flesh or meat, all right, but flesh. And so when we speak of the incarnation, it is God in flesh, all right? And that's exactly what happened when Jesus was born and laid in a manger. Uh, that is the incarnation. And uh, many times we don't see him as a real person until that event. Last week, I think we gave you all those false philosophies about the origins of Jesus Christ, when he became God. Uh, or even if he did become God, all right? And so all of those false uh, ideas and philosophies and, and uh, religions regarding Jesus Christ, they're wrong, they're wrong. Jesus Christ is eternal, all right? And he, uh, at the incarnation, he took upon himself human flesh and dwelt among us and accepted a human name, Jesus, and, of course, he was our Savior. <clears throat> and I, I don't think we intend for that to be the case. We just think that way around Christmas time. Jesus is here, all right? Jesus has always been here, all right? But this is Jesus in the flesh is what we're recognizing at this time of year. Um, sometimes we tend to see him as an Old Testament promise and a New Testament person. And that's okay. That's what we're, we study. Uh, but at the same time, the truth is <clears throat> that Jesus, uh, the conception of Jesus is not the beginning. Uh, it's simply the moment that God the Son assumes a body of flesh. So our lesson today is going to be what did Jesus do? What did the Son of God do before his birth? And we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. We're only going to look at a couple of verses there. But we'll take the very first verse of the Bible. Many of you are probably familiar with the journalist's five W's and how, who, what, where, why, when, and how. A good journalist would try to answer those questions. And in the very first verse of the Bible, God answers three of those W's. We understand uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so God answers the first question, who is the creator? And it clearly says that it's God. And what did God create? He created the heavens and the earth. And when did he create it? He created it in the beginning. Why are those first three words so important? In the beginning. Could we take them off? Would the verse still be understandable? Yes, of course it would. God created the heaven and the earth. That would be fine. But it doesn't give us the context that we really need because those first three words are very, very important. In the beginning, it, uh, it's, 
it introduces the aspect of time. God created time at the same time he created everything else. And, you know, uh, a lot of times when I get up in the morning, I thank the Lord for giving me sleep. It's a gift from God, isn't it? Uh, and I'm so glad he saw that we would need that gift of sleep, that we would need it. We, we, because we are uh, creatures of time, we would need time for rest, time for exercise, time for work. Um, we would need that, all right? That God exists outside of time. It is a construct that he made, and uh, it was designed. Uh, he gave us the, the lights in the heaven, the, day, the sun for the light of the day, and the moon for light at night, uh, and all of those things are designed to accommodate us in this construct of time. And so when in the very first verse of the Bible, God suggests he created time. It was in the beginning of this creation of time that he created the heavens and the earth. So all of creation exists within the structure that we call time. I want to take, you don't have to turn here, but it's a familiar verse. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11. I'm thinking about time, all right? As you remember the days of creation, how many days did God, uh, how many days did it take for God to create the heavens and the earth? Well, we know it was six days. Well, uh, we're reminded of that specifically in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11. It says, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And so if God created time, he exists outside of time, and it, it, gives, it gives rise to our understanding of an eternity past. And we have to describe it that way. Because that's the way we think. We think in terms of time. Eternity is, has no beginning, has no end. And so in order to understand our lesson, we're, we'll use our understanding, our concept of time, eternity past and eternity future. And we'll talk about some of those things as we study uh, what was Jesus doing prior to the incarnation. Well, so the question is this morning, was Jesus present at creation? Well, let's take the word of God and see what we can discover. Genesis 1.1 says God was present. You agree? Verse 2, the Holy Spirit was present. Verse 2 says, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So we know God was present. God the Father, we know God the Holy Spirit was present. Now we go to Genesis 1.26, and we get a very interesting uh, verse here. You might even want to underline a couple of words, but Genesis 1.26, And God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Now wait a minute. We know that God is a spirit. Jesus said, God is a spirit, all right? And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And we had a series of lessons on the Holy Spirit, and so we know the Holy Spirit is a spirit. 
So someone else must have been present. And I'm speaking facetiously, but whoever was present must have looked like us. Does that make sense? Who was present? Well, we'll answer that question right now. We won't leave you in suspense. Of course, it was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All right, so God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son were all present at creation, and we were made in the image and likeness of God. And so we are, God is a, is a triune God expressed in three persons, co-equal persons, and we are made in that likeness. We have a spirit, a soul, and a body, all right, made in the likeness of God. And it gives us that ability. Our spirit gives us our God consciousness. That's our ability to communicate with God after we've received Christ as Savior. All right? And so we are made in the image and the likeness of God. And so this physical body is fashioned after the appearance of God the Son. And all three persons of the Trinity were present in uh, in creation. Let's see what the next one is. All right. Christ is fully man and yet fully God. And get ready. We're going to be in scripture from pretty much from here on out. And we're going to be looking at uh, Hebrews chapter 1 uh, verses 1 through 14. And our emphasis is going to be on what was Jesus doing between um, creation and uh, the cradle. What was he doing during that time? Oh, Hebrews. Such a rich, rich book. And of course, uh, the beginning of the book of Hebrews glorifies Jesus Christ. And of course, he's declared to be higher than the angels, obviously. But let's look at these first 14 verses in the book of Hebrews, and we'll emphasize the work of Jesus Christ. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, and we've studied that, that's what we've been doing in the previous lessons, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed to be heir of all things. Notice, by whom also he made the worlds. Jesus Christ made the worlds. Just an aside, if you've never gone to Washington, D.C. and gone to the National Aeronautics and Space Museum and gone to the IMAX theater, it's worth the trip. There is a, a film there on the Hubble telescope. Uh, any of you have seen that one? Somebody? Okay, okay, two of us. All right, three of us. Okay, four of us. All right, it, th that is worth a trip. All right, now the Hubble telescope has been in space for I don't know how many years, 25, 30 years. Um, and it's been staring into the deepest of space and bringing back images that are just unbelievable. And uh, as you sit in that theater with that giant screen and the beautiful imagery, uh, these are actual photographs from deep space. And if you know Christ as your savior, you sit in there in utter awe and amazement that Jesus Christ created all of that by the word of his power. Not only that, it's active and, and producing tremendous amounts of energy and light 
And all of this activity is going on at such distant reaches of our, of our universe that are almost beyond comprehension. And yet you sit in there and you think, what an amazing God we serve. And he did that to show us his great power. And uh, it, it is something to see. So if you want to treat yourself, if you can tolerate getting up there and going through all of that, um, that is worth the price of admission. It's very, very good. But by whom? By Jesus Christ. Also, he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Do you know right now that Jesus Christ is holding every atom together? As those electrons and all those other smaller parts that we're discovering inside an atom, as they're flying around at fantastic speeds, he's controlling all of that by the word of his power so that the chair you're sitting in will consist, all right? And you can enjoy the benefit of that nice new chair, all right? Uh, but they're everywhere, and he's controlling all of those things. And all of his creation exists and is held together by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Verse 8. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Remember the verses we talked about? Uh, uh, Jesus Christ would sit on the throne of David and he would have the scepter forever. Well, here's the promise in, in the book of Hebrews. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Verse 10. And thou, Lord God, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies uh, my footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? They're ministering to us. All right? And so what a great promise from Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus was present at creation. He is the creator. Colossians chapter 1. Now this is from our memory verse. Our memory verse is from here. Uh, but again, very strongly declares that Jesus is the creator. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, speaking of Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Remember that now. He's the image of the invisible God. We'll end our lesson with that verse. Uh, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, 
whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. <clears throat> and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, all things were created by him. God does not leave that open to question. Jesus Christ is the creator. Now we go to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And again, familiar verses. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is that? We know. I know we know. But let's just review from Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. We kind of um, uh, suggested this last week. And John wrote, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. John verifies who this is. Of course, we knew. Verse 2, going back to John chapter 1, verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He is the creator. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, uh, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Be assured of this. Jesus Christ is fully God and yet fully man. Jesus Christ is preeminent in all things, even in time and space which he created. He is uh, 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 the one true God, we've said, is triune expressed in three co-equal persons, and all three persons of the Trinity were present at creation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three were present at creation. I just, that thrills me, all right? Absolutely thrills me. And so now we come to our activity sheet, the pre-incarnate Christ. Now, he existed before time existed. He was, the, he was the creator. He created all things. And now he enters into uh, hum, human life, human activity, prior to coming in the manger. And so we're going to look at that time period from creation until Christmas. And although God is outside time, um, we're still bound by the chronological framework, so we're going to look at this again. But I'd like for you to notice that Jesus appears in the Old Testament in human form as God the Son. And that's why these verses are going to be so important. We'll study them, and uh, as time permits, we'll cover as many as we can. But God's appearance 
God the Son's appearance in the Old Testament theologically is called a theophanies, all right, and sometimes uh, a Christophany, all right, but uh, it is God the Son. You'll notice that he's not given a name as we look at this prior to the New Testament, uh, but he, he, he is God the Son, and uh, he is often identified as the angel of the Lord or an, or an, an angel of the Lord. Is that true in every case? No, you have to look at the context of the passages to, to identify that it is, in fact, uh, Jesus Christ or whether it's a created angel, all right? And so uh, the scope of our lesson today is we're going to look at verses that are clearly the angel of the Lord. And every one of these uh, encounters are different. What I want you to notice as we read these is notice how the Lord interacts with these individuals in relation to their personalities, all right? The way he deals with them, the way he speaks to them, uh, all reflect their personalities. And um, uh, I just find it a very interesting. I, I smiled a lot as I was reading through these verses, thinking how precious and sweet the Son of God is, especially when he's dealing with some of these people. Our first example is Hagar, and we are going to look at that entire passage, Genesis 16, verses 7 through 13. And I, I want you to notice how sweetly and tenderly he deals with Hagar. Hagar was in a situation that was not of her own making, all right? And um, so she is thrust out by Sarai. And notice in, in Genesis 16, verses 7 through 13, and we're going to find out that somebody comes to her aid and speaks to her. All right? Verse 7. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the, in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence comest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly. Who would have the power to do that other than God himself? It has to be God himself. I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, thou, uh, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael. Here's another example of God naming these men. Because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. The name Ishmael means God shall hear. The one true God shall hear. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. We see that today. That has not changed, and that's active in our day and time. And notice that verse 13. She called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him 
that seeth me. She identified him as God. All right? And he certainly identifies himself by his omnipotence. Then we come to Abraham and Sarah. And again, notice the personalities, how the, the Lord uh, responds to them. And so we're in Genesis 18, verses, uh, starting verse 1. And the Lord appeared unto him, Abraham, in the plain, plains of Mamre. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked. And lo, three men stood by him, much like the angel that appeared before the shepherds last week. The land is flat. You can see as far as you can possibly see in any direction. But suddenly, three men are in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away. I pray thee from thy servant, let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto the young man. And he hastened to dress it. <clears throat> and he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them. <coughs> Excuse me. And he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. And they said unto him, <clears throat> Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was before him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time. <coughs> Excuse me. I think I'm allergic to this microphone. All right. I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. I love the personalities. I love the way that the Lord handles and speaks to these Old Testament saints. And uh, it, it's very clearly, obviously, it's the Lord. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Then we come to Jacob. Now, let's think about Jacob's personality. He was a stubborn fella. He's called a supplanter. He's always looking for the upper hand. He's always uh, looking for the opportunity to get ahead. All right? He's an opportunist, if ever there was one. And now, he's left alone. Genesis 32 and verse 24. He knew that Esau was coming. And he separated his family and sent them ahead, and now 
He is alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, this is the angel of the Lord, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. All right. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. You see the ending E-L, representing God. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. I did not die. I have seen God. I have wrestled with the Son of God, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Once again, he knew clearly he had seen God. Moses, Exodus 3, familiar passages here, Exodus 3, verses uh, 1 through 6. Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and came to the mountain of God, even to Oreb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not uh, nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. He knew that was God himself. Now very... Uh, humorous passage regarding Balaam. Balaam also was an opportunist looking for an opportunity to uh, enrich himself a little bit. Much against his will, you understand, but he's finally persuaded. <clears throat> and so in Numbers 22, he decides to go and follow the king. And so verse 22, Numbers 22, verse 22, and God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. And the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself under the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And he smote her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. 
And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. Oh, verse 28. This is marvelous. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass. And Balaam is, duh, all right? They had a working relationship. I'm sure he had communicated with the ass many times, all right? Uh, but the Lord opened the mouth of the ass and said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee, that thou hast smitten me these three times? And Balaam said, that's as curious as the, as the donkey speaking, all right? Said unto the ass, because thou hast mocked me. I would there were a sword in mine hand, for now would I kill thee. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am I not thine ass upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Well, nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. And he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. And the ass saw me and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee and saved her alive. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displease thee, I will get me back again. Just in case I misunderstood all of your instructions up to this point, <clears throat> I'll turn around. And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, No, go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, thou shalt, uh, that thou shalt speak. So, Balaam went with the princes of Balak, but he called him Lord. He recognized him as Lord. Joshua, wonderful passage, chapter 5 and verse 13. Joshua is sizing up the city of Jericho and how he's going to take this city. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went up to him. And said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And listen to his response. And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. We talked about the host of the Lord last week. An innumerable host of angels. And uh, the pre-incarnate Christ stood before Joshua and said, I am captain of the host of of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua those familiar words, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. I don't think we have time to go on. Uh, there are just uh, two other references here. Uh, but you have the account of Gideon, <clears throat> and you have that in front of you. And Gideon required to, uh, to be encouraged. Gideon was a beaten down man. He was hiding, doing uh, threshing this wheat. He was hiding in a place so the Midianites wouldn't steal the wheat. 
All right. And so the Lord encouraged him as he called him and told him that he would enable him to defeat the Midianites. And verse 22, when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. And our final one is uh, Manoah. And this is uh, Manoah and his wife were barren, and this is the announcement of Solomon. And again, we don't have time to go through all of these verses. But once again, at the end of this passage, uh, it looks like verse 21. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah, Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die, because we have seen God. All right, and there are great promises there. And once again, I enjoy the encounter of Jesus Christ with these people. And each of them had different personalities and different needs. And so we come back to our question, can you see God? Well, through the word of God, we can. You'll notice uh, in Exodus 33 and verse 20, God told Moses, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man uh, see me and live. And you remember God allowed him to see his hinder parts. Well, while the face of God can't be seen by man, the same cannot be applied to Jesus Christ. And our, our verse here is in Colossians. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. John chapter 1 and verse 18. Jesus said, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And then we come to John 14, 9. Jesus is on the way to the cross, and he encourages Philip. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and, hath, and how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? So the question as we close is why did Jesus take on flesh when he could appear easily whenever he wanted? Do we know? I think we do. Peter said it best in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. How? Being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the Spirit. Jesus Christ became a man and lived a perfect and sinless life, died a perfect substitute for our, our sin, suffered the penalty for our sin, died, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the Scripture so we could have the promise of eternal life. Was Jesus busy between creation and the cradle? Oh, yes, very busy. All of those promises we talked about, he was actively involved in all of that, controlling and operating behind the scenes so that his word would be perfectly fulfilled. God's given us some great promises of faith. And he, he calls upon us to live by faith. Uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So believe his word, claim his word, claim his promises, and rejoice that we have a wonderful Savior 
and he's coming again. We want to be found faithful.